again, thank you so much for being with us this morning. Whether you are in the building or maybe you're watching online, thank you so much for being with us. If this is your first time here, let me just stop and say we are so, so happy that you are with us this morning. We count it a privilege that you are here today. And truth be told, we just want you to sit back and relax and enjoy today's experience. We want you to get whatever it is that that you need today. And if you um, have a minute after service, we'd love to be able to chat with you. That would be fantastic. If um, maybe you're not comfortable with that, you can send a text to that number and just say hello, and we can still get in contact with you and connect with you and tell you everything that's going on around here because we wanna make sure that you have an on-ramp to get connected in whatever way you desire. And most importantly, whatever way God desires for your life. And so we would love that opportunity. Um, But we are going to continue our series today called The Power of Perspective. If you have been here the last few weeks, um, you know we've been trying to dig into this concept as much as we can in hopes that we might be able to have a godly perspective. That is our ultimate aim and objective through this series is that we could center in on and and focus in on what it actually would mean to live a life of godly perspective and how much that might be able to impact every moment that we live in. And so for the last four weeks, we've gotten into some really important topics that help us nudge in that direction. And and hopefully you've been able to lean into that. But we're gonna continue that process this morning. But um, we're gonna start a, a little bit something different today because we're going to start kind of a a mini series within the whole series because for the next three weeks, what I really want to dig into and better understand is um, the perspective of someone that we see in scripture by the name of Paul. Um, Paul was an apostle that we see very prevalently in the New Testament. And if you've uh, been around here any time at all, you've probably heard us talk about him. But scripture is really full with information that he either uh, wrote or, or that was regarding his life and his walk with God. And so we have so much material to dig into that, frankly, we need to learn from and apply to our own lives. And so that's what we're going to do over the next three weeks. Um, As we look through scripture, we get some really cool details around the Apostle Paul. And and in fact, he's one of my favorite biblical characters just because I love so much his approach and and his character traits. Um, There's some really cool things as we dig in. One of the things that we see very clearly from the top with Paul is that he was a man of great um, intensity. He was a man who was very passionate, very intense, especially when it came to the things of God. I mean, he was was all about the mission. He was all about the gospel. He was all about completing the task. Like that was his mindset. That's how he would talk. And even at one point in scripture, he said, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart. Like he was that guy, just give it everything, give it a hundred percent. That's who he was. He was so very passionate, but he was also very faithful. And I don't know if you can relate to this, but sometimes when you encounter really passionate people, they go through these really high highs and then these really low lows and it's kind of up and down, but that's not how Paul was. He was very faithful. He was very consistent. In fact, he went through um, a, a great deal throughout his life. I mean, a lot of things he went through. He was persecuted. 
he was beaten, he, he was imprisoned, and yet somehow, some way, it never seemed to face him. I mean, he just kept serving. He just kept teaching. He just kept rejoicing. He was like unshakable. And in fact, one of my favorite things that he wrote was in this realm, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. Listen to his perspective. He said, we are experiencing trouble on every side, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed. He's honest. We're perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are knocked down, but we are not destroyed. I love his perspective of perseverance and faithfulness. He just kept moving forward. But then he was also a man full of wisdom. He was a busybody. He was a doer, but he was also a deep intellectual man. And in fact, much of the biblical wisdom that we have around the work of the church and the mission of the church comes from Paul. Like some really, really important things like being saved by grace through faith. That was in one of Paul's letters. We learn about the effective use of spiritual gifts and how that should play out amongst us. Direction on how to be good spiritual leaders. Like all of this is within the writings of the apostle Paul. And so if we're going to do a series on how to have a godly perspective, I really don't think we can effectively do that without looking at and discussing the perspective of this man. I really don't. There's just too much wisdom. There's too much knowledge, too much power that we would miss out on. And so over the next three weeks, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to look at the things that Paul said, the things that he instructed so that we can have a, a better outlook and mentality on the lives that we are living. And so here's how we're going to, to approach this. Paul is historically given credit for writing 13 of the 27 books in our New Testament, okay? 13 of the 27 are attributed to his authorship. But for the sake of clarity, what we're gonna do is just focus in on one of those 13, okay, just one of them. And the one that we are gonna be digging into and trying to better understand is the book of Philippians, okay? This is where we're gonna be spending our time. This is what we're gonna be digging into. So I would encourage you to write that down, turn in your Bibles, go in and read through this because it's such a beautiful letter that we see in scripture. But before we begin to really unpack that, I wanna get a little bit of context so that we can really see the impact of some of the things that we're going to read over the next three weeks. And so let's, let's start with this. When we look at the history and the background of the book of Philippians, what we learn is that this is simply a letter that Paul sent to the church in a city called Philippi. Okay, that's, that's what this is. It's a letter to a local church. And in this case, it was a letter with a very specific purpose. And that purpose was for Paul to thank the people of Philippi for their continued love and support. So that's the very purpose for why Paul wrote what we now read today. And here's why he was doing this. Paul is writing this roughly 12 years after his initial visit with these people. And over the course of those 12 years, these people have shown him so much love They've given him so much strength. They've even helped with financially supporting him. And he just wants them to know how much he appreciates that. In fact, many theologians would say that the book of Philippians is simply a missionary thank you letter to show Paul's love and appreciation to these people. In other places, it's called the letter of joy because he uses the word joy more than 16 times in this one small piece of literature. 
Now, a letter of joy and appreciation seems perfectly normal on the surface, right? We're, we're talking about an apostle of Jesus Christ. He's called to live with joy and thanksgiving at the forefront. So that makes sense, but there's a little more to the story than initially meets the eye because here's the most amazing thing about the book of Philippians. It is a missionary thank you letter it's the letter of joy, and it's written by a man who is actively sitting in prison. As Paul writes the letter of joy, he is confined to a prison cell with chains on his wrists and no freedom to speak of. And already you can begin to understand the amazing perspective that he must have had as he wrote these words to these individuals. Now, if we can just backtrack for a really quick second here. In the introduction to this series, I talked about how one of the best ways we can gain perspective is by doing a better job of empathizing with other people. Remember that? We, we talked about trying to put yourself in other people's shoes so that you can learn from them and understand where they might be coming from. And so with Paul, this is the exact approach that I wanted to take. As he's getting ready to write this letter to a group of people that he obviously loves, what might he have been contemplating in the moment? Like really put yourself in his shoes as he's sitting there all alone on the cold concrete floor of his cell. What do you think was running through his head at the time? And here's what I began to think to myself. I wonder what questions he was asking himself. I wonder what questions were circulating through his head because I don't know about you, but if I were in his situation, I, I would certainly be questioning some things. Can I just be honest? I, I would be questioning. This was not the plan that I had for my life. This is not how I would have drawn it up for myself. That would have been my perspective. And interestingly enough, as I read through this recently, I felt like I could actually see Paul trying to answer some of these questions that were running through his head, trying to work through his, his thoughts, trying to find some solutions for the situation he was in. And this is actually what's going to lead us through the next three weeks. What questions was Paul asking himself in this time of his life? What lessons was he learning? And ultimately, what wisdom was he trying to share so that we can better understand what a godly perspective might look like? And so for the rest of our time today, here is the first question that I think Paul was reflecting on as he wrote this letter to the church of Philippi. It's a very simple but very important question. And that is, do I still trust God? As he's sitting there on the cold concrete floor, do I still trust that he's in control? Do I still trust that he knows what he's doing? I think this may have been one of the things circulating in his head at the time. Now, as I was reflecting on this myself, I started to think about how often the topic of trust rises to the surface in our lives. You know what I mean? I, I even started talking about or thinking about my sermon preparation and, and how so often the, the concept of trust just makes its way into my message and, and into my different points. It seems to always happen because the truth of the matter is the idea of having trust in God, listen to me, is quite possibly the most important thing we can have in this life. And that's not hyperbolic. That, that is truth. It is quite possibly the most important thing that we can have. Because if we're truly looking to have a genuine relationship with him, then trust must be at the forefront. We must put our trust in him. In fact, a wise woman once said this. I, I love this quote. 
She said, trust is to relationship what faith is to action. It is the beginning place, the foundation upon which more can be built. Where trust is, love can flourish. I love that so much. Trust is, it's the beginning place. It's, it's the foundation. Where there is trust, there can be love. And if you've ever had any good relationships in your life, you certainly know this to be true, right? Trust leads to health. Trust leads to happiness. It really does lead to flourishing. And yet at the same time, if we're being honest, trust is a very difficult thing. We have all experienced this in our lives. We've seen it abused we, we've seen it broken. And if trust in those that we can see is difficult, how much truer of a God that we can't see? And in fact, the older that I get, the more I realize just how rare and challenging truly trusting God is. Like, I'll just be honest, it, it is a difficult thing. And I think all of us, if we really surveyed our lives, would have to admit that more often than not, we don't have the faith, we don't have the trust in God that we should. Because let's be honest, more often than not, we're walking around with a great deal of stress and worry and anxiety. And unfortunately, that is all evidence that we have pulled our trust out from under the sovereign God of the universe. And yet, as we look at Paul here, we see a man who seems to have figured some things out on this particular front. He finds himself in a situation that is frankly worse than anything you and I will likely encounter. And yet he still shows such amazing wisdom and perspective that we need to learn from. And so as Paul is questioning himself about how much he truly trusts God, I believe he shows us three things that, that will help us test and reinforce the trust that we have in God. And so that's what I want to begin to unpack today. And so let's go ahead and begin this. The first way that I think Paul shows us how we can test and reinforce our trust is first by way of confidence. So let me put it this way. Your level of confidence will determine your level of trust. Now just think about that for a second. Maybe that's not initially hitting home for you. So let me explain it this way. In every relationship in life, listen, you have a certain amount of confidence in that individual. Confidence that they will do what they said they were going to do. Confidence that they will fulfill their promises to you. Confidence that they love you and, and care about you. And, and more often than not, our confidence in these things is what will determine our trust. And the thing that I love so much about the Apostle Paul is that he doesn't allow his confidence to be shaken by whatever he's going through in life. He never allows it to impact his confidence. Watch what he says in chapter one, verse six. This is the beginning of the letter. So he's really like setting the tone here. He says this, for I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. I'm, I'm confident of this. This will happen. This is Paul's perspective. Now, my initial reaction to that is, now wait a second, Paul. You're an apostle of Jesus Christ. You, you are charged with spreading the good news of what he has done for you. Now, how can you be confident that God's work is still in play as you rot away in a prison cell? Because you kind of have to get out and you kind of have to travel in order to effectively spread the gospel, right? But here's the thing, guys. He didn't allow his circumstances to affect his confidence. He didn't allow what he was going through to affect it because he still trusted that God was still working, that God was still moving. And in fact, that's exactly what we see happening. Let me show you what he writes just a few verses later. I love this so much, starting in verse 12. 
He says, now I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. Verse 13, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else. And that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Now, isn't that a beautiful turn of events? And isn't that exactly how God works in our lives? Because see, listen, you and I look at Paul's situation and we think to ourselves, man, this poor guy, he's stuck in prison, right? I mean, he's just wasting away. He's just wasting his talent. He's losing time in his ministry. And yet Paul stands up and says, no, you don't understand. Through my circumstances, God is using it for the greater progress of the gospel, He's using it to instill more courage in his people because see, from God's perspective, Paul being in prison was a benefit, not a detriment. Now think about that for a second. God had placed Paul in that situation for a reason. And the truth is greater things were happening as a result. So what we think looked terrible for Paul looked beautiful for the kingdom of God. Now think about that for a second, because I would ask you this question, how might that be showing up in your life right now? How might that concept be playing out in your life right now? A situation that seems unfair. It seems like it's a detour. It seems like there's no way that God is in it. And yet in reality is actually a benefit to the kingdom. And God's wisdom is actually a blessing through his good and perfect will is actually beautiful. What situation in your life might look terrible from your perspective, but looks beautiful through his? And see, the key is you cannot let your trust be undone by your circumstance. You must let it be strengthened by your confidence. Your your confidence that he is still in control. Your confidence that he does know what he's doing. Your confidence that he will complete the work that he's began in you. See, it's time to get your confidence back in him. This is what Paul is trying to show us through the situation that he's in. Regardless of what you're going through, keep your confidence in God. This is how you're gonna trust him. That's the first thing. Now, here's the second way that we can test or reinforce our trust in God. And that is through contentment. So let me put it this way. Your level of contentment will show your level of trust. So this is kind of like a a testing ground for how much we truly trust in God. So think about it this way. When you're around the people in life that you trust wholeheartedly, like you, you know they're not gonna judge you. They're not gonna look down at you. They're not gonna change their minds about you, right? And isn't there a level of contentment when you're around these people? That's just really refreshing. Like you don't have to second guess yourself. You don't have to think twice about what you might say or what you might do. You're just, you're content. And listen to me, in your relationship with God, it's the same way. Your level of contentment is gonna show your level of trust. And Paul's level of trust is so high that as he's sitting in a prison cell, watch what he says in chapter four, verse 11. He says, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. He says, I've learned to be content. It doesn't matter what the situation is. doesn't matter what the circumstances. I've learned to be content. Now, given the fact that we know his present circumstances, these words should carry a lot of weight. Like it's one thing to say you've learned to be content when you're winning and and when you're thriving, but when you're going through the worst time in your life to say that, 
that's something completely different. And again, Paul's trust is so deep and unshakable that as he goes through the valley of his life, he can confidently say, I'm good. Like, honestly, I don't need anything else. I'm perfectly content. Because see, being content in the middle of a storm might just be the greatest evidence of trust that there is. That might just be the greatest evidence we have. Because when you think about it, contentment is only possible by way of trust. If I don't trust you, or if I don't trust a situation that, that I'm in, all I have left to do is worry. All, all I have left to do is stress out and freak out because I don't know how this situation is going to play out. And watch what Paul says to the people of Philippi regarding this subject. Chapter four, verse six, he says, be anxious for nothing. If you're a note taker, write down those four words. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Here's what Paul is trying to show us. If you truly trust God, rather than being worried, rather than being stressed out, rather than trying to carry the weight of the world, why don't you just give it to him? Why, why, why wouldn't you just let him take care of it? If you truly trusted him, that's exactly what you would do. You would give it to him. You would trust that he knows what to do with your situation. So here's what I would like you to ponder. As you survey your life and as you think about your day-to-day -day actions and your thought process, what is your level of contentment right now? What's your level of contentment? Regardless of the situation, regardless of the season of life, do you find yourself worried all the time? You find yourself stressing out about every little detail, especially as it relates to your spiritual journey. What is your level of contentment? Because the sobering truth is your level of contentment is gonna show you your level of trust. Your level of contentment is gonna show just how much you trust in God. Now, as you look at your life, if you're thinking to yourself, well, then I'm in trouble because I'm not content. I'm worried about everything. I'm stressed out. I'm full of anxiety then let's talk about the third and final point today because this is gonna ultimately take us home. So this is the final thing that Paul shows us that ultimately gives us the idea of how we can solidify trust. And that is through commitment. Listen to me, your commitment establishes your trust. In other words, trust is only possible through true commitment. And I want you to think about that. I want that to soak in. That is the only way that trust is possible. If I haven't truly committed myself to a relationship, then listen to me, there's no need for trust. If, if, if I haven't really invested in them, if I'm not really in the relationship, then who cares? I don't need to trust that person. But when we truly lay everything on the line and we say, I'm, I'm in, I'm not going anywhere, then trust will inevitably follow suit. Now, I'm not saying perfect trust will follow suit, but trust nonetheless will proceed. And man, the more that I read about Paul and the more that I study him, the more I'm convinced this is the greatest asset he had. He was wholeheartedly committed to God. I mean, the level of this man's commitment was off the charts. You could not measure it. And honestly, that's no more apparent than in his letter to the Philippians. Let me give you a few examples of some of the things that he says. Chapter three, verse seven. He says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. I count it but rubbish just that I might have Christ. 
Now, if you wanna know what true commitment is, that's it. To look at everything in your life and say, it pales in comparison to just knowing and loving my Lord and Savior. That's commitment. And that's what Paul had. Let me give you one more example that might even be a better example. Chapter one, verse 20. He says, I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Listen to what he says. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Here's what he's saying. I'm all in. Whether by life or by death, Christ be exalted. I'm all in. And listen to me, this perspective right here is the very reason he could write a letter of joy as he's sitting in physical chains because his commitment to God was unshakable. It didn't matter what happened to him in this life. He was gonna remain committed to God at all times. I had this thought pop up in my head as I was studying this and thinking through this, but you know, a lot of times we don't trust people, not because of anything that they've said or done, but simply because we haven't truly committed to them. And in other words, it has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with us. And as much as we would like to tell ourselves otherwise, this is exactly how it works in our relationship with God. Your lack of trust in God has nothing to do with him. It's not because of of what he has or hasn't done. It's not because of what he has or hasn't said. It's only because you haven't truly committed to him. That's it. That's the only reason that you don't trust him. Because see, here's what so many of us need to understand about this concept. Trust in God is not him following you around everywhere, having to bless your every move and step. And so many of us treat it that way. I'm just gonna do my thing and trust that God's gonna bless it. Well, listen, that's not how it works. Trust is not God following you around everywhere. It's you following God around everywhere, regardless of where he takes you. That's what trust is. And see, listen to me. The only way that you can truly accomplish that is with true, deep, genuine commitment. Like come what may commitment. You have to be all in on this. And see here, listen, this is where we have gone so terribly wrong. In our culture and in our understanding as Christians, we are so off base because we treat this whole thing of following Christ as if it were just like another add-on to our life. Like it's just another hobby of ours that we can throw into the mix with everything else. Just this really cool thing that Jesus did that we can believe in and then just do whatever else we wanna do. The problem with that is nowhere in scripture will you find this half-hearted, apathetic tone when it comes to the things of God. Nor when it comes to who we should be as his followers, you will not find that anywhere. Listen, we've been talking about Paul all morning, but if we're gonna look to anybody for guidance and direction, we look to Christ. And we need look no further than the great commandment. Jesus is asked, what's most important? What what is the number one priority? Watch what he says in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. If you wanna know what commitment is, that's it. Now, I know so many of us in the room and watching online have heard that so many times that we just skip right past it. Do you not see the level of commitment that he's talking about? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. In other words, give him everything. That's what commitment is. And see, so many of us are missing the mark because we just think this is another hobby. We think this is just another thing we can put on our schedules to feel good about ourselves. That's not what Jesus requires of us. He says, give me everything. Give me everything. Here's the truth of the matter. Every single one of us has failed in this area. 
every single one of us. We do not trust God like we ought to. And I'm never more convicted of that than reading through the gospels and reading about the disciples and the level of commitment that they had. I mean, literally by life or by death, they were in. And then I think about our perspective as followers of Christ. Think about how easy and how convenient we think it is. Listen to me, if you don't trust God, it's because you're not committed to him. That's it. And if that's where you're at, that can change today. You can commit to him today. Now, I'm not saying it's gonna always be perfect. I'm not saying you're never gonna worry again. But Jesus does says, he says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. I'm I'm, I'm gonna give you rest. So listen, if you find yourself in this spot in life right now, and, and again, truth be told, every single one of us, every single one of us is here. It's time to commit. It's time to be all in on who he is, on who he's called us to be. If you could stand with me. start today or end today by just being really honest with ourselves. Just being real with ourselves. And if you could right now, just close your eyes with me so that we can really focus in that you're gonna take care of it. We're gonna trust that you know what you're doing. 